five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, fellow space enthusiasts. My guest this week is Mo Islam, co-founder of Payload Space, a new space-focused media company. If you're like me, you're always on the lookout for where to get your space news from, besides this podcast, of course. And the Payload email newsletter, which is their first product, is one of my personal favorites. They recently also closed their seed round, getting money from a number of investors, including the Winklevoss twins, and are now gearing up to expand. Mo will tell us all about that. Enjoy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcast platform so more people can find out about it. Thank you. Now, here are a couple of short messages from our sponsors, and then please enjoy my conversation with Mo. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University, ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Space Business Podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Mo Islam from Payload Space. Welcome, Mo. Thank you, Raphael. Great to finally be here. I've been a long-time listener. Yes, thank you very much for that. Okay, so let's talk about Payload Space. And of course, given a name like Payload Space, it could be any sort of space business. Um, so why don't you explain to us what it actually is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Payload is a digital media company, and we're aiming to cover the business and policy of space. Um, so our first product was a weekly newsletter, which we started as a side project last fall, so about a year ago. And we we created it to help fill a gap that we felt was present in the industry with regards to media. And uh, with our weekly newsletter, traction was a lot better than expected. The first few months, we actually started receiving a tremendous amount of positive feedback from a lot of industry professionals. Um, we started to get a number of C-level folks from public aerospace companies signing up, which was a sign to us that, okay, like I think maybe we're onto something here. So we decided to build a business, um, and or at least the plans for a business. And over the summer, we ended up raising a seed round for a number of amazing angels, which allowed us to go out and and start hiring an all-star team. Um, and really like, um, you know, the opportunity we see here is that space is a you know, massive category with growing interest and demand for quality journalism and media coverage. And we also see just a massive advertising opportunity within the new space industry. So we're, we're building a team that we think will help us kind of execute on that vision. Okay, that's great. So I mean, uh, to some extent, you guys are like pals and uh, we're colleagues, I suppose, in sort of space media and in, in the broadest sense. So I suspect we kind of saw some of the same things, but let's not take anything for granted and ex like explore that a little bit further. So you mentioned the gap, quote unquote gap, you saw. Can you just elaborate a little bit more like what, what precisely you saw, like what kind of gap you saw? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, 
so I, so I actually spent, so I spent most of my career on Wall Street, right? So I'm not really a space guy. I was at JP Morgan um, in Deutsche Bank um, for, you know, So was I. Really a <laughs> JP Morgan oh, in Deutsche Bank. Yes. Oh, I so, didn't realize that. Well, look at that. There you go. <laughs> um, but, um, so I, I held a, a number of different roles, um, um, both public and private markets, but um, notably spent a great deal of my career raising and investing capital in private tech businesses, um, focused primarily on deep tech. Um, and, you know, I, I, space was actually one of my coverage areas. Um, spend a great deal of time conducting writing research, dissecting business models, um, but for kind of internal internal purposes um, mostly. And the reason why um, you know we ended up, my co-founder Ari and I ended up starting Payload was because of my experience on sort of the research side of things. I think one of my frustrations back then was not being able to find enough like um, consistent news coverage on news space. You know, none of the banks were covering the industry from a research perspective, and it made sense oh. why, right? There was no there was no, there was no money investment. In exactly, exactly. No investment banking revenue, so why cover it? Um, that's changing now. Um, but you know, at the time, also there are a lot of great outlets covering space industry news, and it's not to take away anything from that. Um, but I think. Um, a lot of those outlets, I think, were focused a little bit more on traditional aerospace and defense, and the new space startup world was a little bit of sort of a byproduct. Um, and the cadence in which they were covering new space didn't really match up to the capital flow and the growth that was happening. Um, but more importantly, it was just abundantly clear to us that the industry was going very, very quickly, and the size of the market was going to be large enough for multiple players. Right? Media is just such a big space that you don't really need to be, you don't need to feel like you're competing against um, other folks. So, like, we felt like there was more than enough room for for another player. Yeah, no, fair enough. As a show of curiosity, so when you were back on Wall Street, I mean, A, like how many years ago are we talking about here? And then like when you were doing your research and you were looking for space and media, like what kind of stuff were you reading? Yeah, so I think um, um, the timing that I'm really talking about was sort of about five years ago, five-ish years ago, maybe a little bit more, was when I started really kind of digging into the industry and sector. And at the time, like if you were thinking about any kind of new space, you know, kind of business model, um, you really have to just, I mean, I spent a lot of my time just like looking at research papers, trying to figure out, okay, like, how does this work? How does this, how does this company work? What's going on here? Um, because most of the media out there was a little bit, um, uh, it, it, was, it was a bit more high level. Um, and when you wanted to dig in and really see like, okay, what, well, okay, this company raised money. This earth observation business made is raising is raising money. They're going after the commercial sector. What are the implications, right? There was no one really talking about that, so to speak. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not, like if you went and you know went in that time period and looked for articles you couldn't find them you absolutely could but it was it was sort of in our, in our mind a little bit of a mismatch meaning like there was so much going on so many companies raising money so many companies raising money at um, pretty kind of breakneck speeds and uh, you know just felt like there wasn't there was like I just couldn't find the information if I'm being honest and I wouldn't call myself a bad researcher mm -hmm. I just like just couldn't find the information and I was like okay like what, if I can't find the information like what, you know what do we do here maybe there's a way to like create and, and, and this by the way this was a multi multi-year um, conclusion, right? It wasn't like mm -hmm. in the very beginning, I was like, oh, like the ob what obviously makes sense is to start a media company. But, um, you know, I think the, there was a, a couple other things happening too at the same time. The way we consume media, right, as a consumer um, was tr transitioning more to mobile. Uh, mm -hmm. The newsletter game was really blowing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to us, it felt like, okay, well, even though there are these all these great companies doing really great work, maybe we can create a product that's a little bit catered to what we would consider like to be the next generation of reader. Mm -hmm. So when, when did you end up actually founding Payload? When, when did it start? So it was last fall. 
Um, so about a okay. year ago, and okay. uh, it was just a newsletter, and it was just a weekly newsletter, and we just actually transitioned to daily. Okay, so that's actually okay. So it's a little bit later than I thought, but that was actually arguably one could say good timing, right? In terms of like news flow, you started last fall. There was probably like the, the next few months. There was like, look, oh, there's a whole bunch of like space spec mergers going on, yeah. and things like that that we can cover. No, and that was that was actually that was a little bit um, um, purposeful because I think uh, we 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 had thought about this for a little bit, but we were like, okay, can we really create weekly newsletter product do people care right that's the other thing right you might create a product where um it, it makes a lot of sense but it may not be the right time so you know and, and you know for us it was like well do we quit our jobs and do this but at some point it just like er, the stars started to align you saw what was happening in the stock market and the public markets you saw what was happening in the news flow you saw what's happening in the capital flows and we're like okay there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of news and news uh news flow now so why don't we actually like go after this market and like see if we can just be another great player and another great space for place to come for for, for folks to come and, and and read about space? Yeah, and I mean it's it's also ballsy bet, right? I mean you guys, it's not like you were you know journalists in some other outlet before and changed. I mean you were on Wall Street, right? Which I mean even today is sort of like good earning power. And as a, I'm trying to think of know any other people who left Wall Street to basically become uh, media players. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah, it's 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 media is a really really tough business and uh there's a lot of media companies that have that have failed quite you know honest honestly and, yeah. and it, it's not an easy business but we do see a lot of value in what's co what we call b2b media so media businesses yeah. that are obviously focused on um niche audiences and you don't need to have a million two million readership to actually build a business and we've seen that also i mean crypto is a really really good example right there's a remarkable yeah. amount of similarities to space and how that industry and how the media um, side of that industry has really grown and really begun to dominate um you know um, a, a lot of the things that people read yeah no, th thank you for doing the segue for me because i was going <laughs> to ask you about crypto because i mean that i think that's really an interesting parallel right i mean even timing wise because it's also very recent right and so you know i was previously involved for a few years in the crypto sector as well so you know i and i was following the media side and and, and it was really amazing how you know at some point in time these specialized um outlets um i mean the obvious one that comes to mind i suspect is coindesk how they started and then sort of seemed to attract really significant um follow of uh, followership or readership whatever the right word is um yeah following i suppose like where where do you see sort of the parallels to crypto like you know what are applicable parallels and then maybe what are some some of the things that are that are different yeah i think that so if you look back into like 20 back to in 2015 2016 when many of the major crypto media businesses were really just starting to take off the readership was dominated by people who actually worked in the industry right so folks that worked at the crypto project mm -hmm. or exchanges themselves but now crypto has become ubiquitous right in, in in one way or another and the readership has grown exponentially you have more industry professionals but you now have investors readers from adjacent industries who simply want to keep up from a competitive standpoint so like yeah. bank, bank, bankers fintech companies and of course, there's this broader consumer interest that's grown. And we think that the same story is going to play out in the space industry. And we're already seeing those signs. Um, space media, for the longest time, has had a very, very industry-specific readership. And we think now, because of the pace of growth and innovation, you're seeing a, a number of uh, very interesting tailwinds. So, uh, so industry, okay, so so just to kind of parallel it back to crypto, like industry professionals, um, the number of folks that are working in the industry are expanding, right? The amount of capital that's being raised in space is forcing um, space startups to hire at record amounts. 
And there are simply not enough folks from traditional aerospace and um, like aerospace and defense um, and engineering backgrounds. So you're now seeing new folks enter the industry that haven't had or don't have the traditional background, and they're going to need to keep up, keep in touch with news flow. Um, with the growth of you know these new businesses and business models, satellite broadband and and, and connectivity, you're going to see. Like certain adjacent industries like traditional telco start to pay attention to what's happening because they're going to need to know that is is their business being disrupted. And I think, you know, we're in the middle of, you know, the next space race. I think there's a lot of people talking about that, but we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot broader consumer interest in space like we did in the Apollo era. When the U.S. was competing against the Soviets, we actually just recently did a piece um, or a chart on NASA's Twitter following and how massive it was compared to things like, you know, like what you would think would have really like much maybe larger Twitter followings like ESPN or like the NFL or the Champions League. Um, so NASA has a very, very um, far reach. And that's only going to get like, like clearly people have always been interested in space. But we think that that broader consumer interest, like it happened in crypto, is going to happen in space as well. And those are just some of the dynamics that tell us that the way you build a media business in space may have to be approached a little differently today just because of where things are going. Yeah. And so that target audience question is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, you have to decide, I guess, sort of also where on the spectrum you want to fall, sort of like B2B, B2C, and also sort of like technical, non-technical, right? Sort of like, I mean, give it a tangible example. You know, when I started this podcast, I one of the first decisions I made was, you know, I wanted to be non-technical because precisely of what you mentioned that, you know, if you want the space industry to grow significantly to trillions of dollars, we need more employees from non-space sectors, more invest, more journalist investors, more entrepreneurs from non-space sectors. Like we need more of everything and hence we need to draw these people in. So it sounds like you guys are also going for a broad audience rather than say the specialized one that you know like the people i met last week at iac who sort of follow space anyway yeah so i think there's so so i think uh, it's a good question it's a good question so our target audience right now is is just industry professionals what we want to do is we want to create a product that you know if you're in the industry every single morning when you wake up the first thing you want to read is payload and we want to we want to create a product that's actually a little fun to read right it's not you know, we, we don't want it to be dry. We don't want it to be too technical. Like you said, um, we don't think we need to be, we don't think we need to be tech. We're not writing a, we're not building a research product quite yet. And I think if no. you go down that road, then you can think about being overly technical and really kind of thinking about um, what would be more useful to folks who have been in the industry for longer and, 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 and are a bit more technical. But right now we've decided, no, we're not going to be technical, but we're going to uh, we're going to go after the industry professional. And as a result, as a byproduct, I think we're going to capture a lot of other audiences. But that's not really our focus. That's just really what our thesis is right now. So we're a newsletter first product. You know, we live in a world where most news is read on mobile. And with the proliferation of newsletters, especially the success of companies like Axios that have built, you know, half a billion dollar businesses oh, sure. off, yeah. you know, they've, you know, off of the concept of emails and smart brevity, um, you know, you start to realize that media and that, and that consumption of news has changed. So for us, it's like, let's do a daily product and that let's Let's emphasize smart brevity. Like, hey, what is this news and why is it important? Why is it important to you? And we don't feel like we need to be technical to be able to tell a unique and compelling story for even folks within the industry. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of segueing. And again, thanks for making all the segues for me. From the, tar <laughs> the target audience to sort of like how you guys think about content, because there, again, you can sort of kind of think along various axes, you know, one axis being sort of like, you know, how broad versus how specific you want to go. And I guess I agree like, you know, if you go very technical, it probably means you go very specific and then there's like specialized publications for like you know just do satcom satcom satellite communications and things like that and i assume you guys want to be uh space but sort of in a broad sense right sort of like covering the various business and like you said policy aspects of 
the various activities going on in space. Yeah, yes. So so uh, is the question really around um, how we thinking how we're thinking about content? Yeah, exactly. And so like, yeah. like what what you cover, how you want to cover it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that so for us right now, we're really just focused on making sure we don't miss anything. <laughs> and what that means is like it's getting hotter and hotter. <laughs> it, it's get it, it is it is, and it, it's 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 interesting when you know like about a month ago we were thinking about okay, do is there enough news flow for us to actually write every day? And we basically for a couple of weeks just practiced. We said okay, like if we were to write a daily newsletter, what were the story? What are the stories that we would be writing? about and after two weeks it was abundantly clear i was like okay like yes there are days when like the news cycle is pretty light uh but in general there's more than enough to write about every day so uh that sort of prompted our decision to go daily but in terms of our content strategy right now we're really just focused on making sure that we don't miss anything our team is not very big right we we have three folks right now um so myself i'm ari lewis our co-founder and then ryan duffy who actually who's our editor who we hired for morning brew Mm -hmm. um and we actually just hired um a fourth person who actually starts with us on monday Rachel Zisk, who joins us from the Northwestern School of Journalism, and she's awesome. So she's joining as a writer. But as I think we scale our uh, group, I think that's when we're really going to focus on truly original. I mean, we have some original journalistic pieces right now, and we're sort of scaling that up. But um, that really, I think, is going to take off once we have our full team. And we are, you know, right now, we are still sort of going through our growing pains and like thinking through what our editorial and content strategy is. And Ryan is still kind of getting his grasp over like the entire industry and what's happening and trying to kind of think about where we want to focus. But we do have some ideas, right? So I think on the policy side, we think there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, there's folks out there who are doing a really good job right now. And, you know, we don't, we think we can only just be additive, but on, you know, on the policy side, if you think about like the next call it year or so, right, you have the second anniversary of the space force. Um, that's going to be important just kind of implications and, and, and what that means and how it's done. You know, your long-term competition with China, that's, that's going to always be something that we really, really want to focus focus on. China is just, at least in the U.S., um, the, the readership is very heavily interested in what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, and, you know, anyone in Washington on the Hill who is, you know, remotely, um, you know, in the aerospace industry wants to know what's happening in China. Um, and, you know, space is military. So how does that dynamic develop between those world powers? Um, you know, what type of weaponry becomes critical to develop because of its use as a deterrent? So, right, that's the policy side. And then on the company side, you know, we want to cover the SpaceX of the world and what they're doing. But we also want to really focus our attention on startups. Like, what are they doing? What are they building? Um, we're, you know, building out our content calendar right now for the next few months. We're going to have exclusive interviews with startups that we don't think are getting enough kind of media coverage. We're going to do startup profiles and just, I think, a whole host of new content that people are going to love, like just love. And we do have in our roadmap a paid research um, uh, product down the line. So that's something where we were we we're actually actually going to do. And that's sort of where I think my background really will start to take, will, will start to help, which is just breaking down business models, right? Hey, this company is doing this. Does it make sense? Is it helpful to the infrastructure of space? Um, or is it really dependent on the kind of like a layer one, layer two company being built first before that? business model even starts to make sense. And I think that's where we're going to do uh, more of those deep dives on companies. And I think leading up to that point, I think we're going to do that for free. And it's going to be through op-eds or different analytical pieces that you're going to see in the newsletter and our website. Um, but then over time, I think we could, we, we, we're thinking about how to even, you know, transform that into its own product of itself. Okay. Yeah. So hang on, there's, there's a few things to unpack here. I wanted to talk about. So um, we'll, we'll talk about the sort of free versus not free versus like freemium in a, in a, in a second. That's clearly a point. Um, but I want to come back to sort of the content and there's one sort of interesting point you touched upon, which I'd say is sort of, uh, it's another axis along which you could define content. One, one 
extreme being sort of the um let's call it the republishing basically of news stories like something mm-hmm. happened you know somebody made a deal somebody had a financing round and we sort of basically tell people that it's happened but that's the kind of part that's getting a very difficult to follow all that's going on and b to some extent it can be very much automated like i mean you could have like you know a space keyword on twitter or something like that versus the other extreme is the sort of like value added original content like editorial um story right yep mm-hmm. and I, it sounds like you guys want to do both right for the time being yes so 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 well so so look so i think uh, you know you you take a look at an example like the information right the information is an amazing uh product a journalistic product and they quite literally do not republish or talk about anything it's all they don't publish frequently but when mm-hmm. they publish it's all original content yeah that's very very it's very hard to do mm-hmm. and i think in the space industry it's particularly hard to do today that doesn't mean it can't be done you know down the road um you know creating a product where it's just like i mean i think if you went down that road i think there would just not be that many stories i think it would be hard and like the cadence of building a product yeah. and for us um you know we're trying to build a media business right we're trying to actually um capture a lot of ad revenue and we can talk a little bit about what that means and how we intend on doing that yeah but, you know if you don't generate enough content you don't generate enough distribution and you don't generate ads to kind of support that business. So that's why, you know, right now we're really focused on just making sure like, you know, in in our product, you won't miss a piece of news. Like that's our goal right now. Like, so every single day you get it in, you get it in your inbox and everything that's happened, it's covered, right? So you just have that in your inbox and it's told in a really nice, interesting and kind of unique way. It's fun. It's something you want to open up every morning. And I think as we scale our team and as we kind of um, get sort of that part right, I think then we can really start to think about like really great kind of original content. Okay, that makes sense. And so let's talk about just the, the the sort of free versus paid questions. So you guys, obviously, the newsletter at the moment is free. Um, how did you guys arrive at that decision? Have you thought about? And then leave aside the paid research because that clearly is a more value-added product. But I mean, there's sort of like in-between products, right? Like you said, if you have like a really um, something that's only editorial stories or something that's you know sort of bordering on investigative journalism, right? I mean, there's an example here in in, in Europe, um, you know, uh, in, in Paris, right? Um, how did you guys think? about a sort of the free versus paid question yeah i think from the very beginning we so so we actually um initially were thinking of doing paid research and what we did was we reached out to a lot of my old contacts so like hedge fund folks and private equity folks and like folks that like we know have the budget to actually pay for a research product and we realized that everyone said hey that sounds nice but we're not going to pay for that so we sort of had to go back to the drawing board and said look this isn't you know, really going to work right now, or we don't think it's really going to work. So what makes more sense um, is to just build a free newsletter. And we, and for us, it was like, well, that's a tried and true model, right? You know, you have companies like The Hustle, Morning Brew, Axios, of course, which is the gold standard. And you have companies even in the crypto space, and just really like all over, you've, you've been able to see companies build distributions with free newsletters, and then, you know, build an ad supported platform, right? And then the reader never has to pay anything. And for us, those advertising dynamics are particularly interesting for space. Um, space is a very big market today. But if you really think about it, there's still, and, 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 and Raphael, I know you're very close to this, this kind of um, work, but you know um, better than anyone else, the record amounts of, of, of venture capital that's being raised in the space industry. Last year, I think that number was something close to like $8 billion. And that broke the previous year's record by over a billion. And this should likely continue, especially now that investors are grading wind at the fact that some space that space companies, some still in fact, like R&D mode, have passed 
have paths to liquidity in the public markets. Now, if you look at the advertising side at a high level, um, a vast majority of venture capital, something like 40% of funding that startups raise goes to Google, Facebook, and Amazon advertising, right? But for the space industry, if you have to advertise, you can't go to Google or Facebook and set up ads to reach your audience, right? The space decision makers aren't there. Reaching a space executive on Instagram is possible, but very, very hard to target. Now, if you have a business focused on creating high quality content for niche audiences, all of a sudden you've created a place for advertisers to go. And space companies will need to advertise, even though some of them have never spent any dollars on paid media, especially the new guys. Um, But there's huge value for them to do so, right? There's the obvious reasons like selling a product or service. Maybe it's a satellite company selling imagery or launch service provider providing payload capacity or an aerospace prime doing so for advocacy reasons or, you know, they want to reach a particular type of audience member. Um, So we think that the, the space sort of advertising market opportunity is really, really massive. And I think one of the things that probably the most important is employer awareness, right? You have all these companies raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And what do you do when you first raise money? The first thing you do, like the first thing we did, you go out and hire people and you have a unique situation now where many companies that are very well funded and are hiring and and competing in the same pool of potential candidates. And what better way to kind of reach those candidates than the publication that kind of reads them every day. So we think think it's, it's exciting that we have an opportunity to potentially be one of those platforms that can help drive where those ad dollars go. We've already had great traction, right? So I think it speaks to, for us, like that we've picked the right model. We've had a number of sponsors we're working with right now, notably Lockheed Martin, Major Aerospace Prime, Firefly Aerospace, mm-hmm. a promising launch company out of Austin, Texas. Sure. So we think the ad revenue model will work. And it's funny, a lot of the conversations we're having right now are startups saying, hey, why, well, why do we need to advertise? And when we say, well, how, are, you know, how many people do you need to hire this year? And they say, well, X number. And we say, well, how many do you think you're actually going to get? Like if we're able to fill one of those seats, you know, it pays for itself multiple times, right? And for us, we're hyper-focused on making sure that that audience that we're building is very, very concentrated and niche for now, right? And I think as, you know, if, if at some point we're just super successful and the audience like really starts to scale, then I think you, your, your, you know, your audience kind of, or your advertising kind of model has to shift a little bit. So for the moment, it sounds like it's almost like a B2B type um, advertising focused. Yes. If you were successful in sort of like you know, having this really broad audience, um, it might obviously become like a more B2C type advertising. Right. I, I think right now, right, uh, as you know, in B2B media, size doesn't actually help you sell. It's the influence of your audience. Sure. So right now, we're not actually spending money on paid. We're not going out and saying, you know, we're not putting, you know, Facebook ads or Instagram ads saying, hey, sign up for our newsletter. Because like, that's, we're not going to get the right individuals signed up if we do it that way. So it's the, it's about the influence of the audience. The more you focus on that, right, quality over audience, um, over like the, the, the quantity, I think the advertising really starts to click. And we're seeing a little bit of that right now, right? We're seeing it start to click. It's just the question is, can we maintain our momentum? Like you only need, you only need a thousand thousand, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more than a thousand, like high quality subscribers to actually start selling meaningful ads. And we've seen that, right? So, mm-hmm. so for us, like as you scale, um, into the multiple thousands and, and, you know, our goal for, for end of this year is to be right around 10,000 subscribers. And our growth mm-hmm. right now is well on its way to hit that number. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think at 10,000, I think you have a, especially if it's a very kind of, um, uh, you know, niche kind of concentrated audience, I think you have a very interesting, um, advertising business. And the way advertising looks 
Um, a payload is basically, it's sort of like, quote-unquote, classic advertising. At some point in time in a newsletter, there's going to be sort of like an insert of the entity advertising, right? Like, yeah, so w- w- we've chosen, we've decided not to do a lot of um, very specific, specific things. So we don't send out, like, um, sponsored emails, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to say, we're not going to send out a specific email to our audience that's specifically about a sponsor. The only way we allow advertising today is a very short banner ad on the newsletter, like right underneath our logo. And then a ad copy that's built into the newsletter somewhere where it almost reads like it's an article. Um, and that's why, you know, we want to keep it natural. We don't want to ruin the user experience. Yeah. And we want to make sure that people like actually enjoy and they don't feel like they're being sold on something. Yeah. So coming back to crypto, right? And so without mentioning names and picking on people, but as you know, there have been some outlets in crypto where basically the, the entire, um, not newsletter, but the entire website was basically a collection of paid for press releases, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like that's clearly not where you guys want to go. No, definitely, definitely, definitely not. And I don't think we need to go there because we have so much inbound right now from startups who just want to tell their story. And they're just like, hey, we don't know. And, 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 and that sort of, again, is another fact point or fact pattern for us to say, okay, like, you know, these really great companies don't feel like they're getting the distribution, right? And it's not because it's not because companies may, may necessarily don't want to. It's just there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of companies right now that are raising money, doing great things, and you know they are just looking for a distribution channel. And you know, for us, you know, we we don't even think you have to even go down that road, right? And 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 have no interest or or plan to do that. Hey, and by the way, um, I forgot to ask you about it. The space industry is also becoming like more and more global, right? I mean, obviously, it still is, you know, relatively. Relatively dominated by activity in the U.S. by many metrics, two thirds of the of the space sector. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on around the world now, right? In places like India and, and, and other places. Geographically, how much do you guys want to cover? So we want to be global. There's no question about it. I know every every company says that they want to be global. We've thought about how to achieve that um, because you know some of the most important and interesting new. I, I think Europe in general, we can. Yeah, I think the U.S. and Europe, they're kind of, I don't want to say one and the same, but from the perspective of news flow, it's like hard to miss things, right? If you're Even as an as a American media company, I think we can capture what's happening in Europe pretty well. Asia is tough, like India, China, Russia. I think without a writer or reporter that's on the ground um, in those parts of the world, it's really difficult, I think, to stay really close to the news flow. So we have thought yeah. about where in our life cycle, um, and I think it's maybe more like a next year thing, where we hire someone dedicated that sits in Asia. But then China is really difficult. Like even if you have someone that's dedicated to China, you're not going to get the news flow. <laughs> so China, so... I agree. I find it really difficult. I mean, you may know one other thing I do um, is sort of put out a monthly review of financing rounds. Um, right. And um, and I know you guys have the financing rounds in your in your daily newsletter even now and there's like so many times when there was like hey there was a hundred million dollar financing round in china and i almost missed it because it's basically appeared in one english speaking outlet yes and and the other thing is right like you don't oftentimes you don't even know how to like fact check that you're like oh it was on oh, weibo yeah. and you're like someone you know so, you know someone wrote it on weibo and all of a sudden you know there's just you know the, you know one media outlet picks it up and then yeah. people start writing about it and then you're always asking yourself, wait a minute, like, like, like to your point, hundred million dollars is a massive round. Like how, yeah. you know, how is that kept so secret? Like what is going on? Like, how do you find out about that information? So it's a big challenge. And I don't think that challenge is going away. <laughs> that challenge is going to be here for a long time. And I think as a media company, you just have to realize that, you know, there's going to be things that you're going to miss. If you're, if you're, even as a global company, if you're trying to cover China, 
it's 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 very difficult. Very few people, I think, very few uh, Western journalists have a really really good grasp over what's happening, and there are some that do. But I think it's very, very few. Yeah. So let's delve a little bit further into one other aspect of content, which you mentioned at the very beginning, where you mentioned business, but you were specifically mentioning also policy. And so that's very interesting because there's obviously a lot going on in, in that regard as well. But let's take a step back. I mean, how do you actually define the policy aspect? What fits in there? And like, what do you guys want to cover? Yeah. I mean, for, for, for on the policy side, we really, so, so we actually just, um, you know, we just hired or we just had a um, an individual join our board who we're quite excited about and um, this gentleman named Justin Johnson who's actually the former assistant secretary of defense for space policy yeah um, and he was actually part of the team that built and started the space force um, so mm-hmm. he is you know we actually had our first conversation with him last week and we are now brainstorming with him sort of what does the hill care about because you know I will be the first to admit, I'm not a policy person, right? I am not, uh, you know, I didn't have a career in Washington, nor do I live in Washington. So, you know, we felt like, you know, we just didn't have the background to be able to understand and have a pulse over what was happening in the industry. So we decided we needed someone who actually lived and breathed that for a number of years. And Justin has been great. And, and he's helping us kind of figure out sort of what our policy strategy should be and what we should be thinking about and the folks that we should know. But generally speaking, um, you know, some of the things that I mentioned are sort of top of mind right now on the policy side. So again, like, you know, the Space Force, um, competition with China, mil- the military aspect of things. Like one of the things that Washington also loves to like um, know about and stay in touch about are different organizational movements. Like organ, organ- like you know, organizations always like you know flip you know who's director and who's what and who's mm-hmm. you know. I think there's a lot of I, I would call politics that happen really, and I think there's a huge part of the community and the space community, especially in Washington, that want to keep in touch with that kind of thing. Um, so that's also something that we're focused on. But again, right now we are focused on building those relationships so that we can stay really close to what's happening. And you know that's part of the reason why we hired Justin and he's helping us do that. So right now, I'll, I'll admit it, like our policy side is weak, but you know we're building that out. Yeah, but I mean that's probably I I also cannot think of any other outlet which would have a strong space policy side it's just something that's not i guess very broadly covered yeah it's not covered but it, it, i i also think it's not covered because it's also you know the gov- government officials don't talk to the media right they don't like to talk to the media nor do they want to talk to the media so it's hard so i think you need to kind of think about who are the types of folks in washington that you really need the relationships with whether it's think tank you know folks from think tanks or research analysts or um, you know, ex-policy people who used to maybe work in government, but are able to kind of read between the lines um, and are able to tell based on certain things happening, here's what it means and here's what the implications are for the industry. So I think uh, that's part of what we're trying to build out because we know, like, if you have a relationship with like a senator, for example, or whatever, like, they're not going to tell you like what's ha- like, yeah. they, they're not going to want to talk to the media. Like they have, they know how to talk to the media. They're trained and they are not going to d- divulge any information that's actually relevant to any interesting news piece. So we have to to be a little bit more, um, I think, clever about how we think about reporting on policy side. And that's why policy strategy piece for us, we're not like, we're not jumping right in. We're kind of thinking through and being very methodical about how we cover policy. Yeah. And that's actually beyond policy. What you just mentioned brings up a general question sort of like how you find um, for stories you write, how you find good experts, because I mean, it's almost been entertaining on the space side. Some of the things I see, you know, I frequently seen examples of like really mismatched experts. I think it's just because people have like traditional non-specialized journalists sometimes have difficulty finding the right people and maybe that's something to improve, right? I was, I've seen various times example of like, you know, calling in a 
technical person or person with a technical background to comment on a financing round or a spec merger. I'm like, hello? Yes. <laughs> How does this make sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. And like, we're building our own, you know, network of experts. Like you, as, a, as an example, Raphael, you're listed on our, you know, list of experts. So when we, come with, Thank you. we but when we, when we have, well, what we've realized, right, is part of what we are, what we're trying to be in the ecosystem is we also want to be a connector, right? Um, we have this amazing group of individuals that read us and we have all these folks that reach out to us to meet us. And we also reach out to folks and, you know, the space community has been very amazing in the sense that they've been very supportive. But, you know, for us, we're also like, you know, we, we get questions from, for example, investors. This happens quite often, right? Investors also, especially new investors who have never really looked at space. We're now mm-hmm. what I would consider like the tourist VCs who come in and say, hey, we're looking at this. Do you know anyone? Uh, but more important than that, like when a space company comes and talks to us and say, hey, we're trying to build this or trying to do that. Like, do you guys have any contacts? You know, yes, we do. And we want to make those connections and we want to be helpful. So, uh, you know, like we are still building out that list of, of, of um experts but there's a lot there's many and some of them are hidden because some of them don't like to be don't like to be you know advertising what they do and what they're what they're what they're building but um there are there are a lot out there and we're trying to find them Mm -hmm. so along the same lines i mean you you mentioned before you know the size of your current team and of course you guys just raised and you're hiring people but and then you also outlined you know the various uh, ambitions where you guys want to go and you know it seems like oh my god that's like a lot of stuff you guys want to do and the team is still very small how do you see that growing i mean is it going to be more sort of internal hiring or are you going to be working also with like freelancers, columnists, contributors, or how do you see that evolving? Yeah. So I think, so when I look at the current team right now, I'm so I'm like very, very happy about where it's at. So, you know, Ari has the media and policy background. Ryan has the editorial background from Morning Brew. Rachel is a great writer. Um, our advisory board is actually really interesting and it's been very, very helpful. We we have Adam Ryan, who is the former president of The Hustle, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the most popular newsletters out there. And he was an investor at the Churning Group, which is a major media private equity shop. Mm-hmm. Um, Salim Malkana, who's actually a mastermind at media product development. He's currently mm-hmm. at N- NBC Universal and is actually an aerospace engineer himself. <laughs> so we found and discovered someone who's actually someone who's really good at media product development, but also is an aerospace engineer. Um, so he's been great. And then of course, Justin on, this, on, the, on the defense side. But you know, for us, it's been like, um, we have all these thoughts and visions. And clearly we've talked a lot um, about you know, a number of different products here. Um, but right now, the low hanging fruit is just the daily newsletter. It's like, why don't we, there's just not not enough great um, kind of daily content that's being produced mm-hmm. um, that's delivered in your inbox in a really seamless manner. So why don't we continue focusing on that? And then I think over time, we can think about all the other great products that are related to a media company, right? So we have plans to start a podcast early next year. We want to do webinars. We want to do conferences, a paid mm-hmm. research product down the line. We have plans for a data product, which um, unfortunately I, I, we can discuss on a future date because we're keeping that under wraps for now. But we are thinking about what mm-hmm. a data product could look like for space. And I know that sounds very vague, data product. What does that mean? But uh, you know, we've figured out, I think there is a way to tie together what we're doing on the media side and all the data that's being produced in space. And how do you, um, uh, you create a product that actually is super, super uh, valuable for people that work in the industry. So we're thinking about a number of different things. But um, again, I think that's why we're being very methodical about our hiring because we just don't, we're not going after that yet. So we're not going to hire for that yet. That, make, that makes sense. And so kind of on the content side, well, actually, no, let me take a step back. Um, on the newsletter, last question. So the newsletter was until recently a weekly newsletter and I already liked it back then. Um, now it's a daily newsletter, just sort of like one, two minutes. How do you guys decide to go from 
from weekly and weekly to daily? Yeah, so we we were thinking about how do we create a habit because you know in a weekly newsletter you have folks who are you know space you know industry folks, but you also have like enthusiasts and you have just folks who are like, oh, this is interesting, space is cool. Let me see, you know, let me see what these guys are saying on a weekly basis, right? Uh, for us, the move to daily was a few different reasons. One, the most important is we want to create a habit. We want to be able to have folks it kind of almost like instinct in like instinctively every morning say, okay, I need to, hey, what's happening in space? I need to overfill it. And unless you have a daily product, you don't create that habit. So that's sort of point one. Point two is also like we were trying to like refine our audience. So we had this thought like, okay, well, when we switch to daily, we're going to lose a lot of people, right? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that signed up for us that just want to know, you know, just occasionally want to hear about space news. Mm -hmm. um, but what ended up happening was quite the opposite. Yes, we did have unsubscribes. There's no question. There's people that were like, oh, I don't want this daily. But we ended up having the opposite effect. And we actually grew our user base about 30 or 40% mm. in in about three weeks um, because of the switch to daily. And I think it was, it also spoke to how people wanted the product. So the move to daily ended up being really well. And of course, the most important thing, right? When you have a daily product, you have uh, five times more um, ways to advertise. So in other words, to generate revenue. So it was a combination of a business decision and also a decision of what we thought would be a better product for the community rather than having a weekly piece. We, we, we And also one of the challenges we had, and we alluded to this earlier, when we were doing a weekly piece, there was a lot of important news that we had to cut out because like the newsletter was yeah. going too long. We were like, wait a minute, we're doing this weekly, but we can't report on this. This is so important. But like, if we add like these three or four more stories, it just becomes ridiculous. Like no one wants to read a, a novel every week. So we decided, okay, like, you know, let's do daily and let's shorten the newsletter by half and just, you know, increase the cadence and then hopefully we can continue. And we were able to maintain not only engagement and open rate, but we were able to increase subscribers. So right now, so far, it looks like it was right. That's great. Yeah. And I, I must say, certainly for myself, you know, I thought, my God, it's moving to daily. Will I be able to like read this every, do I want to read this every day? And I am reading it every day. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's good. Well, good. We, we definitely appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, okay. So coming back to the question I did want to ask, so we talked so much about content and a different type of content and so and what have been some of your i don't know if you want to pick just one or two some of your favorite stories so far and it could be stories that already came out or if you want to talk about something that's about to come out as well yeah well I'll, so i'll talk about something that um that i feel like will start to get way a lot more media coverage and should get media coverage and we wrote we, we wrote a few different stories about this but really just companies building commercial space stations i think is fascinating so like axiom like nanorax and, and lockheed that just announced a free-flying space station, the Orbital Reef, which was Blue Origin in concert with Sierra Space and Boeing. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting. We've written about it, and it is something that I think we're going to see a lot more uh, a lot more news about. Um, I think space stations in general are very interesting business models to look at. And when you really think about like space media, like what's the sexy thing to write about launch? Everyone writes about launch, and as you should, right? That's the most one of the most important pieces of the industry, like getting things up into space. Mm -hmm. But I think the space station, both from a geopolitical perspective, both from the companies being involved, perspective, I think is really interesting. I don't know what you think about that, but I, I, I think that there's going to be a lot more interesting developments over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, uh, we'll need a separate episode on that one. <laughs> 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 but no, I think that's that's that, that to me is interesting. I mean, you have China building, you know, Tiangong, Russia with plans to deploy its own space station within five years. The ISS pretty much falling apart. So we are going to be writing more about that. Um, and I think in, uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting is like um, advertising in space. So we are 
not necessarily like writing pieces about that, but we're trying to highlight how interesting and how space commands a massive global audience. And it's only going to grow. Mm-hmm. And there's like, you know, long histories of really interesting brand partnerships in space, right? You, the obvious ones that come to mind are like the Omega Speedmaster, right? The Moonwatch yeah. um, during the Apollo missions. You know, there's a number of brands that have helped fund research and science on the ISS. And, you know, I think, you know, like we mentioned earlier, like NASA's massive social media presence on the Twitter side, but also on the Instagram side, I actually didn't realize this until a couple of weeks ago. NASA has 71 million followers on Instagram. Wow. Right. And, and, and to put it into perspective, that's as much as like Dua Lipa or Gigi Hadid were considered like global superstars. So I think yeah. that's kind of funny. And, and, you know, if you look back um, on the sponsorship side, you know, back in, I think it was like October, 2012, you know, Felix Baumgartner jumped out of that Red Bull capsule from the yeah, yeah. kind of a crazy thing that he did. But um, at the time it was the most live streamed online event in history. So I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities like that in the future for space companies to potentially, you know, partner with different brands. So we are thinking about sort of like how to highlight the, I think it's a bit gimmicky for sure, but I think it is an interesting part of the industry and will be interesting to see how it develops. Yeah, again, I suspect, no, I, suspect I, I know that we could do an entire episode just on that, but, you know, I'm really quite happy when I hear these anecdotes that NASA has the same, you know, um, like number of followers as, you know, Gigi Hadid or Dua Lipa because that, that, that's great from like, you know, STEM point of view and many other points of view. And uh, the gimmicky element is it's driving people towards the serious, the more serious elements as well. Yes, right? so uh... yes, that's exa- that's exactly right. Which is why I think, like you know, I think there's a lot of folks that talk about, oh well, you know, why is Jeff and Elon, you know, this whole billionaire space race? And I agree that there is uh, an element of truth to what some some folks are saying and some of what the media is reporting, but there's no question that those types of events are driving people to the more important pieces of, of the industry and what's happening. And we need more of that, right? We need more folks. We need, we need more kids and, 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 and the younger generation to be interested in space and want to go after jobs and STEM, you know, STEM jobs. And the more we have these types of events and the more we have this like showcased, I think it'll just create more interest and 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 um and desire from the younger generation to like think oh hey space is really cool if i actually study science and engineering and do all this cool stuff and i can actually work in that industry so yeah i'm gonna go do that yeah and i'm I really hope that, you know, some of your plans for content will sort of, um, I mean, that's not so much like, you know, news stories, that's more, I guess, editorial content, but I hope some of your content will help on that front as well, because there's still so much, I think, misunderstanding at times about space. You know, you have the people like, you know, Prince William commenting recently about like, oh, the billionaires in space, and we shouldn't spend any money, we shouldn't spend that money on space, we should spend it on Earth, or like the misunderstanding of like, you know, how important space is for climate change and things like yes, that. Yes, um, of yeah. course, of course. But we are going to, we're going to do an um, op-ed series and Raphael, you, you you can be sure that you're going to get an invite to write something for us <laughs> at some point. So, and and, and we hope you do. happy to. <laughs> Happy to, as long as it's like, you know, reasonable, like 2,000 words. So, I mean, nobody wants to read more than 2,000 words anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. As we're winding down here on time, a uh, couple of things I wanted to talk about before we wind down. One is um, you have just recently completed your seed funding round, so congratulations on that. And so the one interesting aspect of that was, um, as you said, you had some very interesting angels involved, investors involved, I should say. The probably best known name would be the Winklevoss twins. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the extent you can talk about it, it's sort of like, is that because they saw, again, sort of the parallel to crypto or sort of like, how did that come about? If you can talk yeah, about it. Yeah, well, it's a combination of a couple of things. And we actually have a, a, a couple different crypto-focused um, investors, right? We have mm-hmm. the Winklevoss um, Capital, and we also have um, Sam McInvale, who's actually the mm-hmm. head of Coinbase Custody. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... I think you're you're alluding to to one of the reasons, which I think there are definitely um, 
um, parallels to crypto and you know some of the things that we talked about. Uh, and you're also seeing that on the space investing side, right? There's a lot of now large investors that are you know that have made most of their money in crypto, and it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. because you know the risk reward in space is very similar to the risk reward in, in crypto. Um, but the other thing, the other reason is like I think those in, some of the, some of our investors um, you know saw an interesting business idea, but they also saw an ability to connect with the community and our business being sort of the vehicle to do that. So for you know for example our larger investors, they were like, well, if we invest in a company like Payload, we're going to be very in touch and know what's happening in the industry. And we're also going to have industry experts or or we're going to have a network of industry experts to call upon, you know, as we do other things in the industry, whether it's investing or whether it's thinking through different business models or whatever it may be. So I think there was a mix, right? There was a mix of folks who invested in us solely because of the business model. And there were some that invested in us because of the business model, but also saw it as an opportunity to get closer to the industry. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, last couple of questions. Um, so payload, super interesting. I love your, I love what you guys are doing. Truly. Um, if you weren't doing payload, and I mean, I assume you, you seem generally interested in space. Is there something else you'd be fascinated to do in in the space sector? Yeah, I would love to be. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> uh, if I wasn't doing payload, uh, what else would I be doing in the space industry? Well, look, I'm not an engineer, so I can't do that. Um, I have a background in finance, so I think I would love to be uh, some type. I would I, I would have loved to have, you know done something with CFO or biz dev role at some startup or you know space company. I think that would probably make the most sense, both from an interest perspective and what I'm good at, and I think where I could actually be helpful. You know, I can't sit here and say I'd want to be a propulsion engineer, even though that would sound really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> join the club, exactly. <laughs> okay, and um, and then our last traditional question is uh, science fiction. Do you like science fiction? And then what are some examples of your favorite science fiction? Oh, you know what? TV, I, movies, June just came out, obviously. If, if there was a question I could have prepared for, it's this one, because I know that you always ask this at the end. Um, uh, let's see. So, yes, love science fiction. It is it is my favorite, favorite genre by far. Um, if I'm thinking about science fiction, I, so I'm a big fan of like Blade, uh, Blade Runner. So the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, mm-hmm. it's probably one of the first um, books that I've read um, that really got me into sci-fi. And it's, you know, this crazy dystopian story of what Earth was like after, like, this nuclear war. And I think it combines a lot of interesting elements, right? The existential thought about who we are as humans, the empathy side of things. And, of course, like, there are elements of space and, you know, really influence this whole new wave of sci-fi writers and, of course, influence the movie Blade Runner, which is an excellent movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would say that's probably my favorite. Good stuff. Good stuff. And I just realized that it's been a week and I still haven't seen Dune. I really have to get myself over here. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it either. I've heard a lot of great things. Yeah, everybody who went that I know actually really likes it, which is uh, which is encouraging. Um, so, yeah, so everybody out there, go watch go watch Dune. Uh, Mo, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll stay in touch. You know, um, you know, as we discussed, there's, I think, quite a bit of overlap, quite a, quite a few shared objectives. So, you know, I'm sure we'll be uh, cooperating on a few things and hopefully we'll speak soon. Thank you, Raphael. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, Check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, 
or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.